0: huge respect for all of the doctors, NPs, nurses, PAs who are on the front lines, like caring for, you know, one patient, the sickest of the sick. Like that's something that we always need to have. But we also need other people thinking kind of bigger picture. of How do we keep our populations healthy and out of the ICUs and out of our emergency rooms? So they can be healthy and out and enjoying the world around them. Welcome everyone to the Primary Care Podcast.
1: We explore stories, journeys, opinions, and philosophies told by doctors working in primary care. And now, the host of the show, Ross Tanning. Welcome to your monthly episode of the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Ross Tannock, host of the show. I'm finishing up my fourth and final year at Rocky Vista University, going into family medicine. I'm actually uh, intentionally being a bit vague about my future plans because they are future plans. I'm recording this prior to the match, so I hope it went well for me and I hope it went well for everybody else too but I had some time to record a few episodes. And this specific topic that we addressed today was actually a a listener request for a a topic to be covered. Uh, The topic is telemedicine and the use of technology in medicine. But first, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor today and a fitting one for this episode. I want to tell you all about ICU, E-Y-E-S-E-E, why are YOU, ICU. They are the only remote access telehealth optometrist service that you can a- access from the intensive care unit. If you ever find yourself in the ICU and you have questions about your glasses prescription, maybe you need new lenses or frames, or just want to speak to a knowledgeable optometrist, go to ICU. Download the app directly from the App Store or Google Play. You'll get 50% off your first appointment and a free push of the nurse call button when you tell them that you heard about them on this podcast. So please click the bag of lactated ringers icon at the top right of the app prior to payment and enter the code PCP and you will get 50% off. That's I-C-U-E-Y-E-S-E-E-Y-O-U, the only remote access telehealth service seeing you in the ICU. ICU.net for more info. All right. Glad to have that new sponsor on board. Let me tell you about the guest today, Dr. Josh Emder. He's an osteopath and a family doctor located in Boulder, Colorado. And we discussed his career path, which led him to his current endeavors practicing in basically an entirely remote and digital practice called Steady MD. He talks about leaving his job as a hospitalist to pursue this more technology-based model of primary care. Uh, On top of that, we also discuss the use of technology in his practice. We talk about expanding the use of technology and digital health further into the future. We talk about his advice for learners and up and comers in medicine with regards to how to set them up for success with uh, regards to the future of medicine. We discuss a little bit about direct primary care, however, that wasn't the main focus here, and and I'm uh, hoping to address that in a different episode. We talk about his side project, COVID Check Colorado, that he's uh, particularly proud of. And uh, we talk about the importance of preventive medicine, and he's really big on expanding access to primary care and the relationships that are built between provider and patient within the primary care setting. So let's get it going. It's going to be a good one. Here is my interview with the great and thoughtful Dr. Josh Emder.
0: A really easy place for me to start is I'm the son of an osteopathic physician, so I grew around I grew up um, really around healthcare. My father uh, has been in private practice in San Diego for like 40 years, and um, from an early age, I, you know, wanted to follow in his proverbial footsteps. And as I got older, I really I started to realize that um, a lot of the ways my father, I've watched my father build a practice and take care of patients, were things that I wanted really. Deeply to do. Um, but with the way medicine had been going when I finished residency in 2007, um, it made it harder to have that s- really deliver that same level of care that my dad always provided, building his own practice. Yeah. So now, um, really, my passion is to use technology to help uh, improve access to healthcare so patients can, so, I, so, so not just patients, but People can live healthier, um, better lives through uh, modern medicine and access to healthcare, care, especially primary care.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on that, that mission. That sounds like a, a pretty noble and, and uh, good mission to have. I think it's interesting that you saw your the difference between the kind of generational gap between your father's generation of osteopathic physician, and then you coming up and that things were just different in how healthcare is delivered. And then you kind of seemed to go a direction in your career that was more traditional. I know that you were a hospitalist for a number of years. And then, and then got into, um, I guess, kind of a a different forward moving path in, in medicine that you current a space in which you currently occupy now which is kind of a more telehealth uh you mentioned the use of technology in uh helping the world of primary care um can you talk a little bit about how that happened where you went from medical student to resident to and then hospitalist
0: yeah no great question so um ross when i was a fourth year medical student like you or i'd say going back even a year or third year I really thought I wanted to be a pulmonary critical care doctor like my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, But then after doing rotations and really doing some deep thinking, I I realized that that life of um, working 80 hours a week, taking care of the sickest of the sick, really didn't um, align with my goals in life. And fourth year, I really made a change in direction. And that was from you know, wanting to do pulmonary critical care to, um, being a doctor in a ski town. Cause, uh, I learned that what really energizes me and makes me the best version of myself is being up in the mountains, skiing, climbing, running, being outside. So, um, I really made a pivot and, uh, decided to pursue a family medicine, uh, residency, which I did at, uh, an amazing county hospital, uh, for, uh, San Bernardino County in California. Mm-hmm. And what I loved about that opportunity was, um, at that time, um, my program was, uh, a relatively unopposed family medicine residency. So I really got a, a, a really great, rich, um, experience in hospital medicine and taking care of a really sick underserved population. And since that County is, it's still pretty medically underserved Mm -hmm. as an intern and resident, I, I had the opportunity to really make a big impact in people's lives and just get a really great broad exposure to hospital medicine, outpatient care, chronic disease management. And, um, From there, um, I did have another somewhat of an unconventional career move Mm -hmm. where after finishing residency, um, I did spend a year doing just various, uh, various kinds of work. I worked as a locums where, uh, I did some hospitalist work. I did some work at urgent cares. Um, I, kind of dabbled in starting my own small practice out of my, my father's office and okay. um, even did some work at a prison, um, taking care of, taking care of, uh, uh, taking care of people who are serving life sentences.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, surprisingly, that's
0: wild. and surprisingly that work uh, is an experience that I'll always have with me where at first I was very hesitant to take on that, uh, locum's job. But what I realized was um, the impact I could have really taking care of an underserved um, population, which really happens pretty commonly in our, in our nation's prison systems.
1: Yeah, definitely. So,
0: yeah. So after a year of doing all those different things, um, I was waiting for my wife to finish her training. And um, as a, a newlywed in 2008 uh, without kids, uh, we moved out to Boulder, Colorado. It was our compromise of being able to live in the mountains, but also be close to an airport and have opportunities for both of us for work. Yeah. And um, I was offered a job as a hospitalist, and right away, like that work, um, it really appealed to me. Like I love hospital medicine. I, I love how you can see, you can really, um, you can you can really make an impact in someone's life by taking care of them when they're, you know, the sickest time of their life Mm -hmm. and then knowing exactly what to do to get them better and out of the hospital. um, I found that immensely fulfilling for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, But back in 2017, after I had been a hospitalist for 10 years, I really started to learn that uh, health isn't achieved in the hospital. Like the hospital is an amazing place for treating um, acute illness and diseases yeah. but to really get people healthy, you have to focus more on prevention and that's at, at that time is when uh, a digital health startup called steady and D reached out to me when they were recruiting a, a primary care doctor to launch a uh, online uh, direct um, v- virtual care a uh, direct, primary care practice. And at that time, it was primarily uh, for runners. But for me, that sounded like such a great opportunity to be able to use technology to keep people healthy and just offer a different way for people to connect with their doctor.
1: Yeah, that's that is super cool. Um, You know, there's so much there that appeals to me. I think it's a lot of there's a lot of things I want to unpack there. Um, let's start with Steady MD and kind of exactly what that is. What's the model of practice? You mentioned direct primary care. I'm actually looking to have a uh, another direct primary care physician on this podcast as a, a future guest. So, um, warm us up for that discussion and talk about uh, what's the model of the Steady MD um, practice.
0: At its root, direct primary care is a way to um, really connect patients and doctors, um, with a direct, um, like monetary relationship. Like, so it's outside of insurance, direct primary care practices, uh, typically, um, charge their patients a monthly membership fee to Mm -hmm. provide that access. And, um, what really makes it a lot more effective at times is, you're not having to follow the rules of the insurance companies. So you're able to take care of patients without having to jump through all the hoops that are required for getting reimbursed through the traditional payment models.
1: Yeah, that seems like an incredibly valuable uh, model moving forward, especially in, in a world where healthcare in the United States, I think everybody agrees, needs some sort of shakeup, or at least most people agree something uh, better can be done with regards to our payment structure and uh, the way we actually perform healthcare. Um, so, um, if I'm a patient, uh, let's say I'm interested in being a patient at Steady MD, walk us through what that looks like and what's the process to get involved in it and Um, and then what's the kind of, uh, a visit like,
0: yeah, so, um, when we first launched, I was really being marketed, uh, to, uh, to, to marathoners. And the idea was to connect doctors with patients with, with, uh, like interests. So Mm -hmm. we had a practice for runners. We had a practice for, uh, uh, CrossFit athletes. We had a practice for power lifters for triathletes and what that what was really what's really great about that is when you connect people with similar interests it really builds rapport uh pretty quickly definitely so uh we took that a step further and we built a digital we we built a online matching uh, like algorithm um or quiz Mm-hmm. So go, go to our website, um, go through this quiz and then get matched with, with a doctor who might not be a runner, but would have some similarities where you might like dogs or you might like to go for long walks or be really into religion or, or, um, you know, really, it, it, I forget how many questions it was, but that first part of the matching it, it, it has been very powerful. And then from there, like the sign up process was all online. Patients were charged, are charged $99 a month, just like a gym. And um, once uh, you sign up online, uh, the first visit is a video visit, which they typically take about an hour, where uh, I sit down with my patients and we discuss uh, past medical history. then go into goals, um, you know, address any kind of specific health concerns. Mm-hmm. And then from there, after that first visit, uh, I'm able to order labs, imaging, refer to specialists. And um from there, my patients are able to download a, a HIPAA compliant text messaging app okay. so my patients can directly communicate with me when they have when they have questions.
1: Okay. So the uh, patients can just text you at any time and get uh, answers relatively quickly. Is that how that, that text message app works?
0: Yeah, it's as simple as that. And uh, I have an agreement with my patients that I might not get back to them immediately, but I will get back to them within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in the four and a half years I've been doing this now, uh, save patients a number of trips to the emergency room, trips to the urgent care and we found that, uh, you know, a number of conditions can be managed um, through um, text message and text-based chat. Mm-hmm. And when that's not enough, you know, we can do a phone call. We can do a video call. We can do a video call where uh, I'll have my patients collect vital signs before the visits. Um, I'll have my patients go to a, a lab sometimes before uh, before we do an appointment. Okay. Uh, sometimes even have them go to an imaging center. So, you know what, I'm, what, we're, what I think what we've all learned during uh, COVID is um, allowing patients a really convenient front door to healthcare care um, makes sense for most things. And when there are conditions that need an in-person evaluation or in an emergency situation, uh, we're able to get them to the right place for the right tests or the right procedure at the right time.
1: Yeah, that's great. And it sounds like there is a little bit of work that they have to do on their own. Um, you know, like how do they take their own vital signs? How are they, uh, knowing what labs to get or what images to get or where to go for those things? Is that just something that you're in constant communication about? Um, or let's say, let's say you're having a visit right now or later today. Am I taking my vital signs just with my finger on my radial pulse and, uh, a blood pressure cuff or how how is that all working kind of logistically.
0: Yeah, so uh that's the magic of uh of chat-based care where I might have a patient message me, um Dr. Josh, I'm feeling a lot more tired than than usual. And I can ask a couple questions of, you know, how have you been eating? How have you been s- sleeping? as has your period been heavier than than usual mm-hmm. and you know we can start to develop a differential diagnosis even before we have a visit so you know i might say hey like before we schedule uh, a video visit uh, i will go ahead and send a order to your local lab where we will check uh, a, a blood count we'll check your iron levels uh, we'll check a thyroid uh, panel mm-hmm. and um then we'll have that information before before the the visit and some answers of things to do next. Yeah. Um, same thing. Like if we have to do imaging studies. Um, to answer your question about the vitals uh, during that first visit, um, I will encourage a lot of my patients to buy a, a blood pressure cuff. Yeah. Um, and you know, for under fifty dollars now, you can get a blood pressure cuff.
1: Yeah. And I'll uh, we'll have. A- a patient I was going to say probably like bundled with a pulse ox on Amazon for, you know, forty nine ninety nine or something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy Ross. Like I'll mm-hmm. just have my patients buy a regular old, uh, blood, uh, electronic blood pressure cuff, automatic cuff, and I'll just have them take a picture of the reading and put it in our, put it in our app.
1: Mm-hmm. And so they, um, you know, come to you or come to you via text message with, uh, some symptoms and then you tell them, Hey, get these labs over here. And then we'll chat about it after the result. Um, and you're able to do that because of the, the model of care that you are within, you're not in the standard American doctor model where you're not generally conversing with your patients in any way outside of the exam room. Uh, Yeah. And there's
0: a, there's a couple things that make it work, Ross. One Mm -hmm. is, really knowing my patients. So Mm -hmm. with the direct primary care model, um, you're able to have a a real manageable panel size and still make a a decent living. So that first visit where I'm spending an hour getting to know my patients and then having that ongoing um, relationship with them makes it so when I do get that message, it's like getting a message from a friend who you know. I was like, oh, I remember this patient having Menorrhagia or heavy periods, and then when they're texting me that they're tired, it's like okay, well I know what to do here. Yeah. Um, and um, I'd say that that's one thing that makes it work. And the other thing that makes it work is just uh, what you're alluding to is the payment model. So, in the fee for service model, um, if you're going to bill insurance, you have to if you're going to bill insurance and not commit fraud. you you do have to see that patient in in person and you do have to document so many physical exam points and and follow all the rules of, of, uh, E&M coding. Yeah. But for this model, since it's outside of insurance, we're really able to focus on the relationship and doing what's right and what's convenient as opposed to having to follow the rules for reimbursement.
1: Yeah, that is cool. And you mentioned that, uh, you know, you are able to keep a smaller patient panel and still make a good living is how you put it. Um, how exactly does that work? You mentioned that it's usually a monthly fee, um, at your practice, it's about a hundred bucks. So 1200 bucks a year, um, seems kind of reasonable. Um, but there are other costs of healthcare. How do, how does, uh, somebody go to the emergency room, how does somebody get these images that you talked about or whatever labs that they need or any other uh, aspects of healthcare?
0: Really interesting. And then I have patients across the entire socioeconomic spectrum. I mean, maybe not uh, like, I mean, $1,200 can be a lot for some people and I I respect that. For sure. Um, But I do have patients who, you know, are unemployed, who don't have insurance, but just haven't been able to get into their local FQHC, um, who sign up because they really need help. Um, and in those situations, um, I'm able to help my patients navigate their local care resources. So um, using agreements that we have through CityMD with uh some of the national labs to get really more affordable uh, laboratory testing we're talking like where a CBC uh out of pocket cost might be 10 dollars um you know a lipid panel you know might be 5 or 10 dollars so you get a, a pretty comprehensive panel of, of blood work for probably around 50 dollars mm-hmm. um, you can also find local imaging centers with cash pay pricing uh, I use GoodRx a lot. Uh, so I have my patients go to goodrx.com, print out coupons for medications. But you're exactly right. I mean, healthcare, if you do have a catastrophic event, can quickly become unaffordable, even for quite wealthy people. Yeah. So I do recommend that my patients still carry insurance or at least a high deductible catastrophic type insurance. Yeah. I have other patients who are part of health cost sharing communities. That's another way to go where the idea is they act like insurance, where if there is a, uh, a cost that is um, that, that's kind of more than they can afford out of pocket, then that's when you
1: uh,
0: ask for help from the, the health cost sharing community.
1: Interesting. I've always kind of had a vague, I don't know, conceptualization of that in my head. I kind of thought I invented the idea, but I, I never really uh, learned much about what that is. Maybe I'll have to do some, some research after this because I don't want to get too deep into uh, the details of that. But um, that's very interesting. Um, so how many patients do you have and can you walk us through kind of a day in your life? We kind of talked about what a visit's like from a patient side of things, but, uh, how, how does a day in the the telehealth direct primary care physician, uh, how's a day in the life go?
0: Yeah. So for me, I have a panel of a couple hundred patients, uh, all across the country. Um, in order to do that, you do have to be licensed in whatever States you have, uh, Patients, you, when, you have to be licensed in, in every state where you're practicing medicine. Yeah. So with that, I'm now licensed in 50 states. And that turns into a job on its own of just making sure that you are compliant with all of your CMEs and all the regulations for each state. huh. Uh, a typical day for me, uh, and that's one thing that I am just so grateful for, is that I don't have a typical day. Mm-hmm. In that I have a lot more flexibility than I once had when I had, be, you know, working in a clinic or even in the hospital where, you know, I'll wake up, I will go through my, uh, I'll, I'll go through my app and make sure I've replied to all my patient messages. Um, then from there, my um, I do take same day appointments. So um, even if it looks like I have an opening, unless I block off my virtual calendar, like uh, my my day is is in fl- is, is is in a constant state of flux. So I've really learned to utilize uh, Google Calendar to help help uh, schedule my days. Um, my primary care practice takes up probably a quarter to a half of my time, and the other part of my clinical time is spent doing. Um, other types, uh, I'd say other digital health projects and Ross, you're familiar with one of those, right?
1: Sure. I'm, uh, aware of COVID check Colorado, which I know is kind of how we, uh, linked up.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was talking about. So that's really where I love what I'm doing in that I'm able to, uh, have a, a manual panel of patients, and I'm also able to uh, help develop really innovative healthcare offerings uh, that provide that really provide access to healthcare. So, with COVID Check Colorado, Ross, as you know, um,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, but you can tell the listeners a little bit about it.
0: Yeah, so COVID Check Colorado, it's is a mass. Uh, COVID testing operation since its inception at the beginning in the beginning of the pandemic. Like I think we we started it uh, the summer of uh, 2020. Uh, we've tested probably like well over a million people. We're probably closing in on like a million and a half to two million people now. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really a opportunity of a lifetime to get involved with uh, with the pandemic. I saw early on that the key to keeping our society running was providing um, access to uh, testing, so people could test when they felt when they had symptoms or maybe didn't even have symptoms, mm-hmm. and we could help prevent the spread. Um, so with that, I I helped. Build uh, COVID check Colorado with a team of uh, really really great people. You know, this was technologists, this was project managers, some people who had healthcare experience, some who didn't. But we were able to really do something cool by thinking outside the box. You know, we all of our testing centers were in parking lots across the state of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't charge for any of these tests. And I think the one thing that really set us apart was since it was my name on the orders for all of these tests, I felt really strongly that everyone who tests positive should have that opportunity to connect with a healthcare professional to really understand what what that result means. Because Ross, like, how was that experience for you? So uh, Ross started to say how, he was a medical student with this and really the medical students became a really big part of this of this project as well, because um, just as when was it you're with me in December. I was with um, you
1: for one week in the end of October, or kind of middle end of October, and then uh, for a number of weeks in December, early January.
0: Yeah. So in the month of January, we had about 50,000 patients who tested positive. Yeah. So we had like 50,000 patients to follow up with. And, you know, a lot of people were like, Josh, like, you know, why are we calling all of these people? Like, what's the point? Well, I think we all learned that there was a point because human connection is important. And we, Mm -hmm. we learned that, you know, talking to someone over the phone who had just tested positive, you know, they're scared, you know they don't know exactly what it means to isolate. They don't know what it necessarily means to quarantine. They don't know what to do next. And, uh, yeah, Yeah. Russ, what what was your experience with it?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, you know, so I was doing it during this big Omicron surge of kind of a couple weeks before Christmas to a week or so after new year's. And that was, uh, probably the, the heyday of, uh, of Omicron and heyday of of COVID's publicity just being all over the news, all in the public sphere because the CDC was just changing their recommendations. Actually, while I was on uh, on service with you, so I uh, did get a lot of action of just explaining the new CDC recommendations because you know one day it was whatever it was, uh, you know, isolate for 10 days. And then the next day, it was kind of this confusing (laughs) mishmash of bullet points and weird wording. It didn't say isolate, it said stay at home. You know, um, there was all sorts of different uh, contingencies for different situations. And uh, there was some uh, significant amount of time explaining that to people, Um, you know, which is, I have no problem with really, because that's one of my favorite things about medicine, sounds like it is with you as well, is the patient education aspect of things. Taking, you know, it doesn't have to be these crazy, difficult to understand, pathophysiologic, scientific concepts, but just explaining what is the world of medicine and, and even more so, health, and then translating that into digestible, you know, language and, and uh, digestible, um, way for people to, to hear it. So, you know, I think that was the biggest aspect of it for me was, um, you know, kind of taking the scientific guidelines or the government's, uh, guidelines and translating into people who not just need to understand the isolation protocol, but also their options for treatment. A lot of people had never heard of monoclonal antibodies. Um, a lot of people didn't really know what to do, what an exposure counted as, or, um, you know, what to do with the rest of their families, all sorts of different things. People are, you know, that um, people are people, so they have all sorts of different situations that they're going through.
0: Yeah, Ross, that's a great point. I mean, it was so surprising how many, how many patients were told by their doctor just had the impression that there was no nothing that they could do for, um, despite, uh, testing positive for COVID. So Mm -hmm. it was still common for patients to be high risk, like over 65, overweight, diabetic, heart disease, Mm -hmm. who, um, really thought that like there was not, there was nothing when there were, there, there, there were options. There are options. Yeah. And that was really satisfying for me to know that, you know, this, this, uh, this digital health offering that we spun up, you know, really made a huge impact. Like never in my entire life did I think in one month I'd be able to impact and be part of something that would uh, potentially help 50,000 people in one month. I mean, yeah. that's potentially more patients than I could have seen in my entire career. Yeah. But using like all of uh, using everything that i would learned um, being part of, steady MD over four and a half years of being part of a remote team and the tools of remote work, like using Slack and zoom and, you know, Google documents Mm -hmm. and all of these things that power remote work, but using that um, for healthcare was like, is like relatively new. So being able to put all this together, you know, using a cloud-based EMR um, integrating the EMR through APIs with various labs was able to, we were actually able to leverage technology in order to make healthcare more accessible to everyone in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, you know, getting back to like my, like how we started this conversation today, like that is what fuels me every day. Like, I know there's a better way to care for people. Like I, I watched my dad, you know, work the 80 hours a week in the ICU and the hospital, like helping one patient at a time, which is amazing. And I've, Huge respect for all of the doctors, NPs, nurses, PAs who are on the front lines, like caring for you know one patient, the sickest of the sick. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that we always need to have. But we also need other people thinking kind of bigger picture of how do we keep our populations healthy and out of the ICUs and out of our emergency rooms so they can be. Healthy and out and enjoying the world around them.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it. You mentioned earlier, just that's uh, the kind of core mission statement is you want to help people live healthier and better lives. Um, and so that seems like a, a noble pursuit for sure. Um, <laughs> a couple other things I want to talk about um, with regards to the kind of telehealth structure. Um, you know, what are, what are some of the things that a young learner, maybe a med student or resident who's, you know, going through the standard American med school and, and standard American residency about the future of medicine, you know, like what, what direction are we going, especially with regards to telemedicine for a primary care uh, provider, for a specialist, inpatient, outpatient, um, where are we going?
0: This is this is uh, this is my kind of question here, and uh, it's something that I feel like we're finally in this place of massive change in healthcare. Uh, Ten years ago, if you would have asked me, um, you know, is medicine going to change? And I, I'd probably say like, no. Like, why would it change? Like, this is the way that we do it. Doctors will always have a job. Like. You know, go to medical like, I, I used to always talk to pre-med students and I, I still do um at like university of colorado and before that uh, um some colleges in, in, in san in san diego um, but i used to always tell pre-med students like medicine's great you finish and you, you'll have a job and you, you'll know what you're doing uh things are changing and part of that is i don't even i don't even like the word telemedicine anymore um, it's when I think telemedicine, I, I think of using the telephone. Mm-hmm. And telemedicine uh, was really invented when the telephone was was invented in the late eighteen hundreds by by Alexander Graham Bell. Like, it's time to embrace technology and just understand that. Remote care, whether it's using a telephone, whether it's using text message, whether it's using video, it, it's here to stay and it's just going to be part of the tools that we use to care for people.
1: Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think that makes sense to me. I think it all just kind of, uh, you know, for you, you were kind of early money on uh, digital health, telemedicine, uh, all, all the things that uh, we're talking about today for I think a lot of the world that just snapped into focus a little bit after COVID hit because the hand was forced, you know? Um, So, you know, it kind of makes sense to you because you saw it coming prior. You saw that change coming. And I think it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, you say you didn't see a change coming, even though you at the beginning kind of reflected on seeing your father's practice and then seeing how medicine was when you were coming up into medicine and even saying uh, medicine's different even from the old school days of, of your dad. So I think, you know, each generation will definitely have some sort of big thrust forward or, or just change in how medicine's delivered and, and the kind of priorities we have within medicine too.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And to just get in a little bit deeper about how it's changed. So like my dad was in private practice and when you have a private practice, it was really about, the, building, building the practice, building the relationships with your patients. Cause without that, you know, like you wouldn't be able to uh, make a living. So when I came out of uh, residency in 07, you know, at that time doctors were no longer going into their own practices. They were taking jobs with Kaiser, with other big groups, mm-hmm. and that whole uh that whole aspect of practice building and building those relationships really became lost. So now, like what I'm trying to recreate is you know using technology to to really take back the doctor-patient relationship and focus on focus on the care. And that's not saying that in the large health systems and taking an employed position, I'm I'm not saying that you can't provide good care in that setting. It's just different.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I, it's, I, I, kinda, I really like how you talked about uh, changing, actually delivering healthcare, um, because I think a lot of people think about uh, some of the models that you're employing, whether it be digital or remote health or the direct primary care payment model. Uh, and they think, oh, that's really revolutionizing the way physicians get paid. Or you know uh, that sort of aspect of medicine, and I think within the big schism or debates in medicine, I think there's kind of two of them. One is how are we going to pay for healthcare, and so that addresses a little bit of that at least uh, your your current model of care. And then also the other debate is how do we deliver healthcare? Are, are we doing it right? Not just how people are paying for it and who's paying for it, but how do we actually do medicine better? And so right that- and
0: Ross to, to that point, I mean, last I checked, in the U.S., health healthcare expenditure was like nineteen point seven percent of the gross domestic product. Mm-hmm. And I don't see that as being sustainable. Like, if twenty percent of our GDP is going to healthcare, and we're really not getting re- a return in that investment, and that return is, you know, looking at um looking at longevity data and how healthy our populations are like the US is is not the US could be doing it better. Yeah. Uh and like with covid like with the example of covid check Colorado and you know providing um access to covid testing um you know that's just one example of really taking of really lowering the bar to get care to the patients who, who need it. Mm-hmm. And in this setting, it was really everyone in the state of Colorado needed it. So yeah. there's ways, there's definitely ways to improve that effectiveness. And, you know, to your point of, you know, what what should uh, medical students and residents be focusing on right now? Yeah. I mean, number one is getting that foundation of of uh, getting that foundational knowledge of disease process and medicine, like how, like you really have to have that down. But then from there, um, you know what I've been focusing on is using knowledge from other from from other industries to improve the delivery of healthcare. So one, once, one kind of data point for that is. Pretty much every industry has benefited from having improved efficiencies with the use of technology. And in my career, the like my my career was really started at the beginning of rapid adoption of the electronic medical record. Yeah. And the electronic medical record it has not improved physician efficiency. I mean, it, it maybe has a, in a, a couple aspects, but it, not, it hasn't revolutionized it. But if we are able to use technology the way other industries have benefited from it, then that's how we can really move the needle.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you have an example of that? Or uh, what are you talking about there? It seems a little yeah, vague.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a book called Range by David Epstein. And the book is titled Range: Why Generalists Triumph in a Special, Specialized World." Mm-hmm. And there's a quote that, that I love, and it's, it's in a wicked world, relying upon experience from a single domain is not only limiting, it can be disastrous. And I think that quote, we can, we can apply it to healthcare of like, you know, we've always done it this way of having patients have to call, make an appointment, Show up at the waiting room, show their insurance card, go through the ceremony of having their vitals taken, and then go into the room where you put in a gown and you wait there for 15 minutes, where your uh, where your doctor or nurse practitioner or P.A. comes in, has like five minutes with you, um, they ask you a couple questions, and then they walk out, and like that's the way we've always we've always done it, but if there's a way of using what we see in other industries of of uh you know providing a, a digital front door where where patients can can just easily you know they like they can uh very conveniently and easily kind of let their treatment team know what it is let them know what it is that they want or need from the visit mm-hmm. um, and then uh, figure out more effective ways to deliver that care, like something like that. If we're able to figure that out, it could really have a huge impact on, on, uh, on, on primary care on healthcare in general.
1: Yeah. I am all about it. I'm all about it. It's very enticing. Um, I know you, you know, you kind of talked about a lot of the rewards of this model of care and just this uh, style of practice, Everything from having a patient panel that is a smaller number to getting to know your patients more. We've kind of talked about a little bit about the monetary rewards, um, you know. And I know you can probably set up your your day in any way that you please for the most part, and you know get your long run in on a weekday or whatever you need. But what are some of the challenges of this type of work?
0: Yeah, the, the challenge that I face most is the accessibility part. Mm-hmm. You know, as, a, as a doctor licensed in all 50 states, I can realistically work 24 hours a day from my home office because there's always patients who need help. So being able to uh, come up with systems so um, your patients are cared for when you may not be available, uh, is a challenge, but a lot of it is just the ability to intrinsically, you know, balance your life. I mean, when you love what you do, you know, it doesn't so much feel like a job and it's easy to just keep on doing it, but mm-hmm. we all need times to unplug and recharge and make sure, you know, you're like me, for example, getting that long run in, as you mentioned, like yeah. without that, it's really hard to have that balance and without balance, uh, you know, burnout is inevitable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know you have some, uh, you know, um, you've talked to me before about some specific things like, uh, pieces of advice for the, the young up and comers in this field. Um, just some practical things like keeping your inbox clean and not letting that overwhelm you. Um, you know, and that's a a specific example that I'm uh, referring to there, but, uh, does that kind of fall within a bigger general principle that you let guide you? Do you know what I mean by that?
0: Yeah, I think I get the question. You know, for me, I tried to be balanced for a long time, but I, I gave up on balance as a guiding principle. Cause I think that there are times in life where you just really have to Put your head down and, and get the work done. But when you are not in those situations, that's when, like when you don't have to put your head down, that's when you should, you know, try to relax and smell smell the roses. Uh, I have found that being guided really by passion and trying to do what's right for both yourself and your family and your patients is is the way to go
1: okay yeah well that's uh, that's uh i mean who could argue with that That's that yeah. like a
0: i recently heard a quote that you should try to find a, a job where you know you would do it for free for 40 hours a week
1: yeah and
0: i think that's beautiful like you should find something that just intrinsically fuels you and if you find that and you're, you're doing, you're making an impact on the world, the monetary reward should come eventually.
1: <laughs> cool, so speaking of uh, um, having an impact on the world, I'll let you go here, but one more question for you about yeah, um, just uh, a hypothetical that I've been asking quite a bit of people, but uh, if you had a magic wand, how would you change health- health that could be you know policy or legislation or any aspect of of health um in the u s or globally and i I say that already knowing that you're you're already doing kind of new things and are making a change in health care um but uh what would you do if you could uh kind of change anything in the world
0: i mean is it just one thing
1: uh you can you can have a handful of things if you'd like. Give me, give me the the power rankings.
0: <laughs> you know, on the rotation, I had you uh, read that book, uh, Bold, by Peter D. Mandis. And He has the, the D's of uh, digital disruption, and I think what needs to change is there needs to be disruption in healthcare. With really, that disruption has to be making it accessible, um, making it changing payment models that that don't bankrupt our our country, but really focus on keeping our fellow Americans healthy. Um, And as a primary care doctor, I think the solution for that is really focusing on primary care, preventative medicine, um, making it accessible to everyone so we can have healthy lives, have less less people, suffering with chronic diseases and uh go from there
1: i'm with you i'm with you (laughs) I, i like i like just about everything uh we've talked about today so uh appreciate your time and thank you so much for being a great guest on the show
0: yeah thanks ross
1: told you it was going to be a good one. Embracing technology is actually not my strong suit. So I try to be open-minded about it, even though I think my default setting and, and my natural state is to be a bit more closed off to constantly updating updating, and learning new technologies. But as Dr. Ender said, you have to employ multiple different aspects of life into whatever you're doing. If you're practicing medicine, you can't just practice medicine. You have to be practicing medicine while also using technology to your advantage and, and using other elements of life to help yourself and help your patients. So that's really all I have to say, you know what to do, leave a comment, leave a rating, tell a friend, spread the good word. And, uh, if you want to reach out to me, the email is the primary care podcast at gmail.com. The Instagram is at primary care podcast. I love you all. Peace. I
0: just add a little pizzazz, you know what I'm saying?
1: Pizzazz. pizzazz, pizzazz. Her uterus was the universe, and it bloomed in birth, the moon and the earth. Nothing ever happened till it was observed by the first animals with optic nerves. It was a fight for survival. Many died though. Friends were formed to fight mutual rivals. Man and woman appeared and they realized there was a thing called love bringing joy into their lives. Boom. They were civilized. Went from stones and bones to phones and drones as many kings took the throne. Built empires and the story's well known. History ticks along like a metronome and then walk, talk, and throw stuff, all grown up, I got a job now and show enough, I'm sleep deprived, I'm misaligned, my appetite is primed, to feed the ego almost all the time, and then I met you, lovely and smooth, you quickly removed my modern man's blues, I want to celebrate every breath that I take, cause I'm afraid I'm dreaming, and I don't want to wait, so baby let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, and forever gonna grow into something we don't know, baby let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, And forever gonna grow into something we don't know Baby, let me grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul And forever gonna grow into something we don't know The universe was my universe But I left to pursue the search of love But sometimes it hurt along the way If there's anything I've learned, create a garden Plant flowers in the dirt I'm gonna be the sunshine and rain Protect you from the pain as I push you toward the flames Play the game and wonder am I the hunted or the hunter When I was younger I met God and I hugged her She said, hey baby, instead of getting lost within How about you try to walk a mile in my moccasin? Stop, begin, let the thoughts and visions Guide you further down the road Going inch by inch, don't sprint Take it slow, protect your soul Travel long and far but make sure to come home here is what keeps you going and gives you the power and the freedom to grow let's giggle and laugh and rise up through the stress this life is crazy but it's the goddamn best when life gets complex don't think just do it first it was simpler when the uterus was so baby let let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and forever gonna grow into something we don't know baby let me grab a hold of your body mind and soul and Behold of your body, mind and soul, I'm forever gonna grow into something we don't know. The uterus was my universe. The uterus was my universe. All conversation and it information human. exchanged the and contained the was in the podcast is intended for educational the and entertainment and purposes only and on should not be confused with medical, medical treatment advice or direction. Nothing on the, the podcast should supersede the, the relationship the 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 and direction, the 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 direction, the direction of your medical caretakers, although guests on the show are board certified and licensed physicians, they're not functioning as physicians in this environment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed to grab a hold of your body, mind, and soul, forever gonna grow into something we don't know. Baby, No, no.